I've come across many cases where children have been left in a very damaging environment and have been caused harm by that. And of course, I have a number of cases that I can't talk about, which I'm dealing with, that where you have adults who have um, suffered as children tremendously as a result of being in care and the care not being appropriate, or through failure of early intervention. that all but one children and young people sent to Greenfields over the last five years were already in the care of the Children's Minister, and repeated criticism over the lack of therapeutic facilities for struggling young people. There have been calls to improve care proceedings and children's services as a whole. We asked local lawyer Darry Robinson to share his view on the issue. To start with, Darry, would you be able to tell us about your background and your experience in children's law? I've been a lawyer for, I believe, over 20 years now. Uh, I practiced in the UK before coming to Jersey, and I've been a Jersey advocate for uh, over 10 years. Um, when I came to Jersey, I started working on children's cases at that point in time. It was an interesting time because uh, the children's law, the 2002 law, came into force just after I'd come back to Jersey. And so I think that came into force about um, the beginning of August uh, 2005. <clears throat> Now, I started working on children's cases because uh, the firm I was with, there was nobody else who really wanted to uh, deal with those cases or really had the, uh, the, the experience to do so. Um, and the thing that struck me at that point in time was that there was a very, if you like, a very casual approach to the court process. So when interim care orders were being dealt with by the court, uh, previously called or previously known as uh, interim fit persons orders, it was often the case that those orders would be um, applied for and granted without, for example, the, uh, the, the parents being heard, without the lawyers for the parents attending, and without uh, the children having the child having any representation uh, whatsoever. And of course, by that, I mean the representation of, of the guardian who assists children in care proceedings. That, of course, that role came in on the back of the children's law. So for my own part, I wanted to be involved in these cases because I found them um, stimulating. And I felt that the human rights implications that flow with a children's case was of, of particular interest to me. I recall at one point um, briefing an advocate who was uh, dealing with a case <clears throat> when I was working at that time. And I prepared her submissions for her, and she went before the Royal Court. And in those submissions, I'd referred to a human rights case. I believe it was the Katie in Finland case, which is a, a very important case. And as, the, as my submissions were being uh, rehearsed before the court by the advocate, it became clear to me that she hadn't really grasped the significance of the case and didn't really understand the way in which the human rights law was underpinning um, matters of childcare cases that were before the court. And I think at that point I, I decided I must, I must qualify in this jurisdiction. And so I did. And then after working uh, in private practice, I joined the Law Officers Department for a time. I worked with them, I think, for about seven, um, possibly seven and a half years. During that time, I spent some time uh, in the children's team, where I was representing the interests of the children's service. And again, I realised that 
there were multiple breaches of children's human rights in the process that was being adopted uh, by the children's service. And in addition to that, uh, I was at a loss to understand why claims weren't being brought on behalf of children for injury caused to them as a result of their experiences in care. And that I suppose, flows into my most recent appointment, which uh, is with Benny and Sivray. And I've been with Benny and Sivray for, um, well, it must be coming on to three and a half years now. And the, it was a perfect fit for me because, of course, Nina Benny is um, uh, an excellent childcare lawyer and uh, Philip Sivray is an outstanding litigator. Uh, so we work well together. And it allowed me to then develop the practice which I've uh, moved forward with in Benny and Sivray, which is, of course, dealing with human rights breaches to children and also dealing with claims that uh, stem from um, children who've been abused or mistreated in care. You, you were discussing how when you started um, looking into children cases, you identified uh, breaches um, and issues in the process. So, so what is the process like now? Could, could you explain um, what a child would go through when, for example, the care order has to be made um, in that respect? The experience for a child who is committed to the care of um, the Minister for Children and Education, in fact, of course, committed in reality to the care of the children's service, is it must be a very hard experience. And I'd ask you to just consider, if you will, for a moment, a child of perhaps seven, eight, nine years of age who, without any notice at all, is taken from their family, put into the car of a stranger, and who's then taken to, in some circumstances, to live with people they've never met before. So... Um, the explanation of decision-making to children in the context of legal proceedings is, or as a lawyer, is very different to explanations that must be delivered by the experts in the case. And, and by that, I mean the social workers and, and the guardians, because the guardians, of course, are trained social workers. So um, my view is that the child goes through a very difficult time and the best person to explain decisions generally is the social worker uh, and or the guardian. When it comes to legal matters and explaining legal matters, then, of course, there are times when I will be, my role will diverge from that of the guardians, where the child is perhaps slightly older and has a different view as to what their future should entail. And then it, it, it's a case of really directing the information that I'm giving to that child at an age-appropriate level. That can be difficult, and I think some of that comes with experience. And I think being a father of, of a child of AIDS, I think that helps as well. Um, in relation to the process itself, as I say, it can, I think, be a very hard process for a child. The processes themselves could do with... Um, I think, high-level review in relation to when children are uh, removed into care particularly. Obviously, you mentioned <coughs> that the social workers play a good, a, a big part in explaining decisions and the processes to a child. Yes. But we know that there are obviously issues with the recruitment of social workers, so we, we've had this kind of a revolving door in the service. The, the legal proceedings may be lengthy, so how can you ensure that the child is well surrounded when the social worker that might be at the outset of the case has maybe changed maybe twice or three times over the course of the proceedings? And I think you've 
you've asked me a question that hits on a very topical point insofar as, first of all, I, I want to say that social workers that I've been involved with and worked with, um, there are many good social workers out there. And in my view, all of the social workers really want to achieve what's best for the child. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But I think the turnover of staff in the children's service is a real problem. And it's been a problem for some years. And I think I've, in my experience, <clears throat> I've, ex I've seen the change in directorship, senior management, and many social workers on the ground. And the problem with that has uh, really flows in two different ways. One is that you don't have, in my opinion, the structure at management level and the support and guidance for social workers that they really require. So that's one point. From the child's perspective, you're quite right. I've been involved in cases where a social worker will change very quickly and where there can be more than one or two or three or four social workers. There might, in fact, be as many as, as five social workers in a child's life throughout the course of the care proceedings. To some extent, that's, um, I suppose, out of the hands of the children's service. But it would be better, I think. I think if there was more stability in the management structure, then I think that that would surely have a knock-on effect, that it would give uh, better guidance to social workers. And I, I know some social workers become disillusioned in the process because they don't have the support that they need, and they don't have the procedures and the guidance in place and the policies in place that they need to be able to do their jobs. There's been criticism as well of the children's services in the sense that they, there's obviously a, a lack of support for the social workers, but there's also a lack of support for the families themselves who, who need uh, to be able to care after the, for their children, and they're not given that support. Is that something that you've seen um, uh, from your side as well? We must remember that the, the social worker's role is to focus on the child, and they are the child's social worker, not the parent's social worker. But nevertheless, it's also important to remember that if the family as a whole needs support, and by that I mean the parents and possibly grandparents, um, or other connected people, if they require support to be able to care for that child, to allow that child to remain in the family unit, or with a connected person, then it's very important that support is provided. And I think there are cases where supervision orders are made uh, by the court, because I believe that the court feels without an order in place, the children's service will not provide the support that is required by a family. And I think that is, that is unfortunate because it would be better for a child to be treated as what we call a child in need. That means a child who's not the subject of an order with appropriate support being put in place for the families at an early stage to avoid the cost and the detrimental experiences to the child and to the family from being brought into care proceedings. It seems almost that there's a very deep problem in the children's service that they're not providing the kind of support that is required, which then causes a higher amount of, of care proceedings than they probably should need to be. Well, that, that's a, a real possibility. Uh, and I only make that observation because when I see cases that uh, come before the court that I'm dealing with, it's unclear to me why there hasn't been a period of assessment during what we would call the pre-action stage and a period of support, uh, sorry, an appropriate support put in place at that stage of the process. Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes the service gets it right. 
And sometimes they do put in the support and they do avoid the necessity for proceedings. But the problem is there doesn't appear to be continuity throughout the service. And I think that stems from the lack of stability in the directorship, the management structure. That's my view. I think that ties into to the next question I had for you. In the, the years that you've been involved in children law and that, that particular area, um, as the type of cases that you've come across change, have the, the kind of recurring themes changed over the years? N- not really. It's often neglect uh, caused to children uh, by possibly the parents being alcohol dependent or a parent being a, a drug user or domestic violence in the home. So, or in fact, sexual harm in the home. Um, so the, th- the themes of dealing with children who, uh, or assisting children uh, remain pretty much as they are in the UK, um, save that you don't, uh, you don't have the gang-related uh, issues that impact on children that you do get in, in the inner cities in, in the UK. But no, the themes are generally the, the same, and uh, they revolve around the type of neglect and the type of um, harm emotional harm that, that flows from alcohol, drug misuse and uh, domestic violence predominantly. It recently emerged that all of but one child uh, sent to Greenfields over the last five years had been in the care of the children's minister. Do you think that this shows the current system is not working and not achieving the best outcomes for children? Or do you think it's maybe linked to the lack of therapeutic care in the island? I think it's both, to be frank. I think that Greenfields is being used in a way that really it shouldn't be. So I think earlier intervention, I'm quite sure, would result in less children requiring secure accommodation in Greenfields. So my my view is, in my experience, that if there's earlier intervention and correct intervention, then it might put the family, and in particular the child, on a different trajectory, uh, which would hopefully avoid that child then being placed in secure accommodation. I think also where you have a child who has been um, the subject of significant harm and needs therapeutic intervention. Unfortunately, there's nowhere for that child in Jersey, and it's been a long-standing issue uh, before the court, that that type of unit is is required in Jersey. We we really need a a therapeutic unit. And without that, it means that Greenfields is in some cases being used as a short-term solution for children who have significant uh, psychological difficulties. So children who are, uh, for example, self-harming due to psychological issues that they suffer and who are putting themselves at risk because there's nowhere else. And that, that's a real shame because Greenfields is, is not a therapeutic unit. And I want to say that the staff at Greenfields are fantastic. They are really caring staff. I, I've met most of them. And the unit is, is run very well by people who mean well. But you must remember that it's secure accommodation, which means that you have a door that is akin to a, a door in a prison. It, uh, you have rooms that are like cells. Uh, and the, the purpose of those rooms is to make sure that the, um, the child won't harm themselves, of course. So you end up uh, with a room that very much looks like a prison cell. Um, you walk in, the door is a thick uh, 
cast iron door with a little portal in it so that one can look through and check on the child. And the, um, for example, the sink is fitted into the wall to make sure that uh, it can't be, I suppose, torn from the wall or, or, or the child can't damage themselves on the sink. Well, it, it's accommodation that is not suitable for uh, a child who requires therapeutic intervention. Whenever the creation of a new unit or a new facility is discussed in the island, it always goes back to the kind of um, resourcing issues and maybe whether there is actually a need for it. But with, with the number of um, care proceedings that we see going through the court, there seems that to be a need. Would you agree with that? There absolutely is a need. And any child care practitioner you speak to will, I think, agree with that. And I think if you speak to the children's service at, at the highest levels, if you spoke to Marco as himself, I think he would agree, yes, there is a need. Um, and it's a shame that that therapeutic unit hasn't yet been set up. And I, I don't really understand what the holdup is. In particular, when I see how quickly Hope House was established, I, with, with all the resources that it had, I just cannot understand why the children's service cannot do that the same thing within a reasonable time frame. Now, I appreciate that Hope House was a very specific unit for short-term treatment and that setting up a therapeutic unit is, is slightly different. Nevertheless, when we are told that, well, we, we don't have the accommodation, we don't have the property or we don't have the correct regulation, uh, that, that concerns me greatly. And I find myself asking, well, we have many properties, for example, around the old St. Saviour's Hospital. Why, why can't a property be allocated for this purpose? Why can't the government work together in the best interests of children uh, to make sure that the property is correctly regulated? Uh, why can't therapists be brought into, acquired and brought into the island to work with children as they were in Hope House? And I don't, of course, know why Hope House was sidelined by the government. I can only speculate. But I think... It, it must be of some embarrassment to the government that that unit was set up so quickly with everything a child needed for that type of support, short-term support, and that the government still seem unable to, to achieve this. You mentioned in your, in your previous um, answer that uh, early intervention was really important. What do you think about the, the length of time b between, for example, a concern being raised um, about um, a child that's potentially suffering either emotional harm um, or abuse at home and actually action being taken? I've come across many cases where children have been left in a very damaging environment and have been caused harm by that. And of course, I have a number of cases that I can't talk about, which I'm dealing with, that wh where you have adults who have um, suffered as children tremendously as a result of being in care and the care not being appropriate, or through failure of early intervention. Now, as I see it, the problem, or part of the problem is that in some cases, cases the children's service acts very quickly and don't really have a basis upon which to act. Uh, in other cases, they act quickly and they get it right. Unfortunately, in other cases, they just don't act quickly enough. And there's no continuity, as I see it, in relation to the cases that uh, I see both in pre-action proceedings and before the court. And I think that it very much depends on the social worker who is making the decisions. And this, I think, again, must relate in some way to the... Um, the failure to have 
policies and processes in place that support the social worker on the ground, I think. Are there any cases where maybe what the either the minister or the services are asking for is something that legally can cannot be done or is breaching a child's human rights or there are actions taken generally before court proceedings are commenced where the um, human rights of children and families are and parents are being breached once the case is before the court the court is very aware of the landmark um, European cases which are relevant to the human rights of the child and the parents. Now, of course, there's case law that says the, the human rights of the child must prevail where there's a, a balancing act to be conducted. But in my experience, the court conducts that balancing act very well. So once the proceedings are before the court, no, I, I don't think the human rights of the child and the parents are breached as a result of decisions made by the court. I think our, our judges are very alive to uh, the human rights issues. Uh, so I think breaches generally come from the children's service not doing what they should be doing or doing it in an incorrect manner before proceedings are issued. So what is one change that you think we could make today to make the process friendlier to, to, to children and to improve outcomes for them? I think it goes back to my point on early intervention. Early intervention at a pre-action stage. So when the, the service becomes aware of a family that is, is struggling because of a problem in the household, which might be domestic violence, which might be alcohol misuse or drugs misuse, then I think it's important they, um, they engage the family at an early stage. And that's much better for the child because, of course, if the family can be engaged at an early stage and the appropriate support can be provided to that family. And it won't always be possible. There, there will be cases which will end up before the court because the family just can't do it, because a parent just can't stop taking drugs or can't stop drinking. But early intervention would make it so much more child-friendly and would avoid situations where children are uh, removed from care at very short notice. And that, that I think, is is extremely harmful for children. Um, and I, I've been involved with ca in cases where I've seen some horrendous situations that have, have resulted from that very quick removal into care where the child has become accustomed to, if you like, the, um, the emotional and physical harm that they've suffered in the household, doesn't, doesn't have any idea that they could be taken away from that household, and then uh, is is taken away from their family very quickly. So I think early intervention is the key. The other change that I think would be most helpful is for there to be um, good legal support for the children's service and the social workers. And, and by that I mean training that, um, that is delivered to the service and specifically to, to the social workers on the ground, which explains how, um, how they should be exercising their... Uh, their powers in accordance with European law. And I make that point because whilst I was at the Law Officers Department, I don't think that there was ever any training delivered um, by, uh, by the children's team, now known as the safeguarding team. And I think that's really important because only a lawyer will be able to 
explain to uh, the social worker how the development of law within a particular area impacts on what they should be doing. So I think that that's a change that could really benefit the children's service. Thanks to Gary Robinson for talking with me today. And thank you for listening to the Bellary podcast. You can find more episodes on all the podcasts. And don't forget to like and share it. The music you hear is I Shift My Weight by Google. More on the Bellary podcast next week.